Welcome again. It's good to see you guys this morning. My name is Matthew. If we haven't met, I'd love to uh, meet you out in the lobby after we're done here. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, and if you're um, not new, welcome back. Uh, we had a great time last Sunday at the Windy Lake of the Hills. Um, if you're new to the Bible or new to our church or Christianity, we're just glad you're here. Our hope uh, as a community is to know Jesus in our community and make him known in our community. Uh, we're in a series in the Gospel of Mark, and I believe, don't quote me on this, that this is week number 11, uh, and we're just in chapter 4. Often we go through series where it is uh, topical related to something within the Bible, a doctrine or something like that. Other times we go and we say, hey, let's just pause and take an extended length uh, time uh, to, to go through a book of the Bible, and that's where we are at. However, next Sunday, I'm going to just kind of take a pause uh, with the Gospel of Mark and just kind of work through and just kind of teach through uh, what our responsibility is here, what, what the responsibility of the pastors and the elders are, and kind of take a really a deep dive for a couple of weeks into what the church is. Um, that way, uh, we can all be on the same page. And uh, ultimately, our view and our vision is to uh, know Jesus and make him known. Um, we are married to the mission of God. Uh, we are not married to methods or preferences or anything like that. But I'm diving into that sermon already, and I need to stop. So um, anyway, so we are in a, a sort of a kind of a chunk of Scripture in Mark chapter 4, so if you have a Bible, go ahead and grab it, uh, where it's a trilogy of parables that Jesus is about to give us. It's a, so here's what we're going to do. Instead of reading through the whole thing, because it's quite a few verses, I'm going to take and just divide each of these parables, and then we'll talk about it, read the parable, talk about it, read the parable, talk about it, and we'll see what God has for us this morning. You good? All right, well, if you're not, sorry. All right, Mark chapter 4, we're going to pick it up in verse number 21. And hear the word of the true and living God this morning. And he, being Jesus, said to them, Is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest nor is anything secret except to come to life. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And he said to them, pay attention to what you hear. I got to read this slowly because like me, it's kind of confusing, but we'll, we'll dive in it. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you and still more will be added to you. For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Hey, can we just pray one more time over the reading of God's word and just our remaining time together? Um, Holy God, we thank you. Um, it was, although it was my voice that spoke, it was ultimately your word that we just heard, and we thank you for that, God. I pray that you would use me. I pray that you would help me. I need your help this morning. I feel the weight of what Paul said and. 2 Corinthians 4, I am I'm pressed, but not crushed. I'm perplexed by what is happening, but I'm not driven to the deep and dark pit of despair. I, I'm struck down, but I'm not destroyed. But this, Father, I know for sure that I have this jar of clay 
this treasure that is the surpassing power that belongs to you, not unto me. And that our light and momentarily afflictions are just preparing us for an eternal weight of the glory in which we will partake in. So God, we pray that you would be glorified and your church here now would be edified and the enemy would be mortified. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So we're gonna talk about a lamp, Um, no big deal. Uh, The lamp that Jesus is referring to here, this was very familiar language to Jewish people. In fact, this lamp that Jesus is talking about was likely referring to a terracotta lamp, a little clay lamp. Uh, lamp that they used in those days. Obviously, they did not have electricity, so in order for them to see at night, they would have these little terracotta lamps. They would either be uh, placed on a pedestal or table or placed on a protruding shelf on the wall just so that there would be some type of lamp. They would put oil in the lamp. This is not a modern-day flashlight, right, where you just click it, and it illuminates or you have on your phone a flashlight. This is something that's clay. You put oil in, there's a wick, and it burns. And this message is very interesting in what he says that you are not to do with this illuminating light. And there's going to be a couple reasons why this is so. Uh, You don't put it under a bed, the first thing that Jesus says. And typically, for the Jewish community, uh, they did not have elevated beds. In fact, these were rollaway beds that were tucked away in corners. But for the Romans, if you remember who Jesus or who Mark was writing to, likely to people who were in to the church that was likely in Rome, uh, they did have elevated beds. So they, they knew what he was talking about here for some of these Christians. And, and even some of the Christians that would hear this, they, they knew exactly what Mark was talking about. Uh, nor do you put it um, in, in a basket, in a, in a wicker basket, because uh, two things are going to happen if you do that, right? Uh, either you go kaboom, you will literally light yourself in flames. You, you could put an actual flashlight underneath your bed. You could put an actual flashlight in a basket and, and you won't be harmed. But if you put an actual flaming fire under your bed, you know what's going to happen to you? Really? You're going to burn, baby. Like there's just no way around it. You're, you are cooking, all right, and, and then you put it in a wicker basket, and that's also not just going to catch the basket on fire, but your whole hut is just going up in flames. Uh, another reason why you don't do this is because it has no intrinsic value, because why are you going to put a light, something that's supposed to, to drive out darkness, something that is supposed to, to cause what is hidden to come out into light? Why are you, why are you tucking that away. You don't, you don't buy the, the, the fancy swag uh, lamp from Ikea just to throw it into the closet so nobody can see anything. And so why would this light that Jesus is referring to here, why would we take this light, like the light of Christ? He is the light and, and we are called to shine that light. Why would we take this and hide this? Why would we take this and just keep it to ourselves? This is just my message of Jesus and mine alone. And Jesus is essentially just kind of rebuking and, and kind of uh, telling us like, you, you just don't do that. Here, here's an absurd idea for, for some of us. Um, if you have the light, then, then what is the light supposed to do? Shine. 
And so the implication here is that if you've been given the light, you need to let this light shine and you put it upon a lampstand. You don't, you don't go hide it like, oh, I've got this Jesus. You don't go try to privatize your faith in Christ, right? And that's what some of us want to do. Well, my faith and my walk with Jesus is a private matter and it's not to be discussed openly. No, baby, Jesus just rebuked you. And says, you do not take this light that has been illuminated in your soul, that has brought you out of the darkness, out of this, uh, this unknowledge of who Christ is, and you just keep it to yourself. No, our role and our responsibility in this is just to shine the light. In fact, this has a lot of Old Testament references. In fact, you may have references uh, all about in your Bible um, on this particular passage. And one that just comes to mind is Psalm 119. 105, it says that your word is what? A, a lamp into our feet and a light into our path. So whenever we receive this light, we are giving out this light. This message of the kingdom is not meant to keep inside this four-walled room. This message of the light of Christ is not meant to keep just to yourself. That's why the message of privatization of your faith is demonic at its core. And Christ is calling us and and, and rebuking us and encouraging us. This light that he has illuminated you with, you are to take it and put it on a pet and shine and just blast it out into the world. Now, if we're honest, this trilogy of parables is, is really kind of a message about the kingdom of God. And Jesus is kind of talking about what it's like, what the kingdom of God is like. And so I kind of want to just kind of just take us on this path in this little small detour of what this kingdom of God is like. And, and if you're taking notes, write down this. In God's kingdom, it's not about what you get. It's about what you give. Now, there is a very tricky little verse tucked in this first parable. And Jesus says, with the measure you will use, it will be measured or it will be measured to you. In the Greek, this is basically translated as the measure you measure will be measured. Now, I didn't do grade in high school, did grade in college, but that's still a little confusing. In other words, the people who give the most, this is what Jesus is saying, the people who give the most, they end up, having the most. This is kind of the kingdom of God is really like this upset, upside down uh, view of the way culture is. We think if we give away all of our resources, we don't have anything, but that's not the way of the kingdom of God. You, you give, you give, and you give, and you receive, and you receive, and you're fulfilled, and you find fullness, and fullness, and fullness. Now, in context, what, is, what are we giving? That's the question. What are we giving? Are we giving away our money so that in turn, God will just kind of rain down the Benjamins? Like, we got we to gotta double up the Benjamins, God, because we in inflation. Like, it's real, y'all. So I need to give and give and give so God can just rain down the Benjamins upon heaven. No, that's not what this is saying at all. What are we giving? What did we just talk about? We are giving the light of the world. We're giving the light of Jesus. We are shining that light. We are sharing the gospel. And you know what happens when you begin to share the light? You begin to grow. 
So in essence, you begin to receive what God has called you into, and you receive more of who Christ is. The more you share, the more you grow. The more you, you push out the darkness, the more the light goes out, the more you are filled with this light. Like you, the more you teach it, the more you share it, the more, as what Colossians says, the more it dwells richly inside of you. The more you give, the more you get. Now, let's think about this in terms of relationships, right? If you go into a relationship and you don't give, like you're just there to receive. Let's, let me ask you just an, an honest question. How well does that relationship go? It, it's not going to go anywhere, Right? Like, like if you come into a marriage and you think, well, this marriage is about what I can receive from it, what I can get from it, then your marriage is, I know, I know this, is, this is terrible news, but I'm just here to break it to you. Your marriage will not last. Like nobody will be able to help you. I think you can, you can just kind of take this in terms of all aspects of, of life. Like you come into a church and you're just in church just to receive and receive and receive and you're never giving and giving, you know how long you're going to last in that church? Boy, because boo-boo going to come up, and they're going to offend you. And like, well, well, I was supposed to just be here to receive. Well, maybe in essence, yeah, we're receiving the word. We're digesting the word of God. But if that's all you're doing is taking in, taking in, faith without works is, is dead, right? You become spiritually obese, and you begin to have this, this spiritual heart condition. So where there is no outtake, where there's no giving out, and you're all receiving in. And what about, like, think about this in money. If you give away your money, you'll get more. No, again, this is the upside downness of, I don't know if that's a word, but we'll go with it. The upside downness of the kingdom of God. If you give away your money, you know what you get? you get contentment. Like some of you are like, I get broke. <laughs> well, you're not married to the money anymore. You're not married to the burden of always wanting more and, and achieving more. Instead, what you get is, is, is a life of fulfillment and contentment. This isn't about giving money to get more. This is about getting so that I could find fulfillment and the contentment in my life. This should be telling about how we do ministry here as a church. Like sometimes we kind of get a little, we will get frustrated because no one's coming to my thing or, you know, why am I doing this ministry? Why am I doing the church? And we don't see a numerical growth. We don't, you know, then, then why are you doing it? To, to be seen as some successful person in the eyes of your friends? Or then are you doing it just, just because God's commanded you to be faithful and to give and to give and to give? We are, we are to give this light, not so that we can be viewed as successful in the eyes of uh, our friends or the church world or whatever, it's just so that we can find this contentment and fulfillment in who Christ is. And we grow more in him. And if that's all I receive in, in, in giving out is just becoming more like him, then that's enough. 
If, if I don't get the big numbers, if we don't get the success according to man's standards, then that's okay. Because if I just grow more in Christ and in who he is for me, then that's, that's enough. That's, that's enough for this church. That's enough for you. We, we let our light shine before others so that we glorify God with our deeds and our works and in all we do. C.S. Lewis does a much better job in commenting on this particular passage. And um, too bad he's dead. Because he would have been a great guy to listen to. C.S. Lewis says this, and he's, and he's really kind of uh, summarizing this, this parable in a way when he says this. And the principle... He writes this in Mere Christianity, which I would recommend you reading. The principle runs through all life from top to bottom. Give up yourself and you will find your real self. Lose your life and you will save it. Submit to death, death of your ambitions and favorite wishes every day and death of your whole body in the end. Submit with every fiber of your being and you'll find real eternal life. Keep nothing back. Nothing that you have not given away will ever be really yours anyway. Nothing in you that has not died will ever be raised from the dead. Look for yourself, and you will find in the long run only hatred, loneliness, despair, rage, ruin, and decay. But look to Christ and you'll find him. And with him, everything else is thrown in. Let's take a look at the second parable here. Let's pick it up in verse number 26. And then Jesus said, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground he sleeps and rises night and day and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. Whether he's doing something or not for the seed, the seed grows by itself. When it grows by itself, it's doing this automatically. It's, this is how the kingdom of God works. How does it grow? It grows because of God. How does it grow with or without you? How does it grow if you're asleep or you're awake? You want to know how it does that? Because it's not your kingdom. It's God's kingdom. Isaiah 40, 28 gives us this encouragement. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is everlasting. The creator of the ends of the earth, he does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. There's a second thought about the kingdom of God. It's not about what you do so much as it is about who you are doing it for 
It's not about what you do as so much as it is about who you're doing this for. At the center of the kingdom of God um, that we, we, we sung about, there, there's a throne and there's a, a king that sits on that throne and he is in complete control over all things. He is in sovereign rule and reign over all things. And he is God, and he is the one who is never tired. He never slumbers. He is never asleep. Now, I'll be honest with the implication of this. For, for those of us who have a Messiah complex, who like to try to fix everything, talking about me and not talking about anybody in particular, this parable is for me, and this parable is for you. We think that the kingdom of God is dependent on whether or not we are involved in it or not. We think that the success of the kingdom of God is, is kind of hanging on the balance of whether or not Matthew Thrower is going to be a part or not. We, we think the success of a church, we think the success of all things Christendom is hanging in the balance and it's contingent on whether or not you and I are a part of it. Am I right? Or maybe it's just me then maybe y'all be the preacher and I'll just be the one sitting there. It's this Messiah complex that we have. We think God's kingdom is, is hanging on the balance and is contingent on whether or not we are here to serve or not. Like, like hear me, like I, I'm not trying to be, to sound nasty or to sound rude or to sound anything like that. I'm, I'm only saying these things because this is the conviction that I have in my own life. God is going to grow his kingdom. And listen to me very carefully. He'll do it with or without you. He is not in a holy huddle with Jesus and the Holy Spirit wondering, why is my kingdom not growing? Because Matthew's not involved? It, the parable is whether I am asleep, whether I'm, not a, whether I'm a part or not a part, his kingdom grows and his kingdom advances. Like in a sense, that's like a conviction towards us, right? That, like it's almost like a subtle rebuke that Jesus gives here. But if we kind of look at it in, in a view that would, would encourage us, that's, that's amazing. You know how much weight that then kind of can lift off of you? That you're not the point of this, that, that this, that refuge, Every church in Cedar, every church in America is not contingent on one person. That, that is just the work of God. That it's his kingdom and it's up to him whether this grows or not. It's up to, because of his sovereignty and his rule and his reign. So the sickle, kind of an interesting thing here. Uh, Jesus is quoting Old, Test Old Testament, and it's about God's judgment coming before the harvest. And many of these parables, in fact, a lot of these parables, they kind of carry a dark overtone to them, right? Like the kingdom of God is so magnificent, it draws us in, but then those are people who do not hear. And Jesus makes uh, kind of like this distinction between um, the kingdom of God is like for those who follow the king and, and for those who don't have no understanding, those do not hear, then they're not a part of it. The, the, again, these, these parables, this is, this is Jesus asserting like this kind of sovereign rule and reign of king who is over all things. And you are either on team Jesus or you are on team darkness. 
there is no kind of middle ground, like, well, well, maybe I could just be a little bit a part of the culture and the world and come to check off on the list that I came to church, I did the thing, that's fine, and everything's fine. No, there's a, there's a very distinct um, line here that Jesus makes with, with these parables. And, and he's saying, like, there is a judgment coming. You are either a part of the light, you are either a part of the kingdom of God, or you are not why? Because this is God's kingdom. He is the one in control. Now, for us as Americans, like we, we kind of, we struggle a little bit with the idea of the control, or let's just, let's just put it in a theological sense, the sovereignty and the rule of God, right? Like we, 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 we agree with it up until it kind of like starts poking at some of us uh, in, in, in ways that we don't want it to poke. We want control over certain things over our life. And, and I think that we, for, as Americans, it's, it's very difficult for us to understand a complete and like, like total sovereignty over every square inch of your life. Like we just, we don't understand that. You know why? Because we have a president. I'm not talking about the current president. I'm, I'm saying that like our, our way of understanding government is just different. We're not a theocracy. We're in a republic. And how Abraham Lincoln said, it's, it's a government for the people, by the people. And so ultimately, the president is, is, was only put there because people put him there. So Abraham Lincoln is saying that the people are the ones who are ultimately in control of their sovereignty. But perhaps we've tried to enter, um, interlace this American construct of, of government into a biblical idea of government. But please listen to me carefully. God does not share his throne with anyone. And the idea that you can vote Jesus into office is absurd. Jesus is up there saying, I wish they'd vote for me, put me in office. He's already ruling and reigning over every square inch. He doesn't need your support. So our idea of control is kind of getting squished a little bit in this, in this parable here. We ultimately bow our knee to one God, and that God is not you, and that God is not me. He is the one who is in control. It's just our responsibility to be the light. Listen. Here, let's breathe, all right? Let's breathe for just a second. We're not about results. You know who's in control of that? God is. You know what we're in charge of? is just being faithful to his word. I don't know why we complicate it so many times. It's just shine your light. That, that's it, just, just shine your light. And whether you are a part or you're not a part, whether you are shining your light or not shining your light, whether you are walking in complete obedience or you're just disobedient to the word of God, his kingdom will grow with or without you. Okay, I've got to move on. Verse 30, I've still got one more parable to go through. And he said, this is Jesus again, talking about these parables. With what can we compare the kingdom of God or what parable shall we use for it? It is like a green grain of mustard seed, which when sown on the ground is the smallest of the seeds on earth. 
Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. With many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples. He explained everything. So now we've got this if you, you think back a couple of weeks, we were talking about seed and, and all the different types of soils that the seed is dropped on. And so now he's kind of taking it all back into us and he's given us this comparison of a mustard seed. Now, a mustard seed is not the smallest of the seeds, but it's very, very small. And the fact and the beauty of how expansive and how, and how glorious and large this gets is amazing about what this parable is is that God is going to use a tiny rinky-dink seed and it's going to grow in the most unlikely soil. And it's going to be so large and so vast that it will cover the entire earth. If, if we're talking about the kingdom of God, here's a last thought on the kingdom of God. It's not about starting big. It's about starting small. You know, it's so different about what people think Especially in this, especially in this Jewish culture, I mean, you—they've just been—they've come out of like a lot of periods of times where there were Jewish guys that would come up as rulers and militant leaders and have you know small victories here, where where you had Judas the Maccabees. I don't know if you're familiar with those stories, where where they would be militant leaders and they would they would go against the oppressors and sometimes they'd win, but it wouldn't last long. And so so all of this excitement is being built up around the time of Jesus. And when they see Jesus and when they hear this whole kingdom message and this Messiah has come, maybe this is the guy who's going to lead us in the militant victory. But instead, it's like this backwater movement, always hanging around the river with just a few folks. This unlikely people. Jesus is saying, listen, the kingdom of God it's, it's going to start like this tiny, tiny little seed. Jesus is saying, look, hey guys, let's don't look down on those small beginnings. Maybe it's a reference of the prophet. When Jesus is saying, do not despise these small beginnings. It's very counterintuitive in our culture because we want huge, we want big. We want large, we want grand, especially in church culture. We want all this, the lights and we want it to look big and we want you know, all these things to cater to all of us and we want big and big and big. It's like we're trying to reflect Las Vegas, right? And ain't nothing good in Las Vegas. It's the toilet bowl of America. And if you're from there, I apologize. I don't apologize. It's just how I feel. It's my opinion. It's not necessarily views of all the people in this church. We want that. We want the big bright lights. We want the big shows. We expect church to be big and glorious and grand. And Jesus is kind of taking his back and saying, hey guys, let's scale this. Let's, let's take back these expectations. It, what you are expecting is this grand militant lead in and to, and to capture the Roman military. But the kingdom of God is not quite like that. In fact, the kingdom of God is going to be like this tiny, tiny mustard seed. And it's going to have a very, very small start 
And the kingdom of God is exactly like that in your life. The kingdom of God is you being the small, small mustard seed. It's you just simply sharing the gospel with someone. It's planting that and shining that light. That's a mustard seed. That's a small start. It's you just being faithful with what God has called you to do, to be a light that shines in your area. You know, maybe parents, this is one that's convicted me. To me, it's, maybe it's you just plant, being a small start is just taking your family and praying with them. And maybe it's just you, like a small start, just God use me. I'm, I'm here and just studying God's word. It's a small start. And God uses these small starts and these small beginnings. It's not the huge mega revivals. It's not the large crowds. It's just starting with something very small. What, what are the small things that God is asking you to be faithful with? Not the big, not the large. What are those small little things? We get fixated on those large things. We get fixated on the large careers. We get fixated on all of the big things in life. But maybe a small start for you today would be forgiving someone. Maybe a small start for you would be just saying, God, here I am, use me. Let me, let me just shine my light. It's also about us being very encouraged. So you don't feel like that's a rebuke to you, but also feel like this is, a, this is pretty encouraging, right? That God would ultimately use a small start to do something so vast and so great. You ever feel small? feel insignificant. You feel like you can't make a difference. You feel like you're just a complete and utter failure. Hey, you're in good company. Not that I'm calling you all failures. I'm just saying. But if you feel like you are too insignificant to be used, or maybe I've just struggled with this sin and God would never forget. Listen to me. Hear the encouragement. It's the small starts that God uses. It's the insignificant that he uses. You are exactly the small mustard seed that God wants to use. Think about this. This is kind of an MO of God, right? A method of operation that God uses. Jesus was born in a town um, of Bethlehem, which was the smallest, most insignificant clan in Judah. Yet he uses a town called Bethlehem. And a small mustard seed. He he uses a rod to part the Red Sea. He uses five loaves and two fishes to feed tens of thousands of people. Even uses a donkey to talk to someone. I was going to use the other word that the KJV uses, but there's children here. Think about the seed and this, the effects of the seed that Jesus is talking about. He's like, okay, boys, I'm, the kingdom of God is like this tiny little mustard seed and, it's, and it's, it looks insignificant. It looks like it has no value. It looks like, you know, um, you know maybe, maybe it's the person who's navel-gazing and the kingdom of God is like this. They, it, it uses that small, tiny thing and it's going to blow up and change the whole world. And, and the disciples, 
I'm quite sure the disciples probably remember this teaching when the Holy Spirit came down and like all of a sudden like Peter comes out and 3,000 people are added to the church. It went from 11, then 120, and then all of a sudden these people in the upper room, they, they see how the insignificant mustard seed took effect. And then week after week after week, and up until the point, look, look, at, look at how, look, look at the effects of the mustard seed. It's, it's you and I. It's us here this morning. Think about what the church of Acts did not have, okay? Just think in terms of just small, tiny mustard seed. All they had was the light. That's it. That's all they did. Shine the light. That's all I've been called to. I'm going to be faithful to that. They did not have Facebook. They did not have Instagram. They did not have $60 million jet to go fly around the world or the expensive cars or the giant house. They didn't have lights and cameras, no fancy buildings. They didn't have popcorn in the lobby waiting for people to come in. They, they just had a mustard seed. And, and, and for the church, this is, oh, this is crazy. That was enough. They, you know, they didn't go into like a little room like, hey, can we have a marketing strategy meeting? You know, how many posts are we going to do? Like, this is totally what I do. Like, how many posts are we going to do a week? Like, what are we going to share? Like, what's the copy going to be on this? Like, well, what are we, like, how are we going to do? How are we going to reach these people? Should we do a fog machine or no fog? Like, what? Let's do all these weird marketing techniques. And Jesus would be like, what, 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 what is wrong with you? The church, they didn't have these comfortable, nice, luxurious seats that we have been divinely blessed with. They have giant screens behind the guy who is talking. Like, they didn't have a, an iPad to look at their scriptures and notes. They just, they just had a tiny, tiny little mustard seed. And, and you know what the cra crazy thing is about that? That was enough. If, if I could just, again, I, I'm going to lovingly press us. That's enough. If we take down these lights, if we, we shut off the screen, if we remove the seats, which we can't, if we go meet in a parking lot, if we meet in a, like, hear me, it's okay. Because that's enough. Because all we need is the tiny mustard seed. It's the small start. And what God does is he uses this. He uses this obedience. He uses these insignificant things, these small beginnings. And then out of these small beginnings, flourishment, harvest comes. But again, who is that on? It's not on me. You know, it's not on the pastors. It's not on the leaders. It's not on like any type of small, it's not on any of that. It's just, it's on God. Because he's the one who is controlling all of this. I think if there's just a simple practical thing that we can, we can just look at for just 15 seconds, it's this, sh shine your light. We're not after results. We're not looking for results. We're, we're just in, while we're in this process, we're, we're going to remain faithful. I'm going to be faithful to shining my light. I'm going to be faithful to proclaiming the message of Jesus Christ. And I'm going to be honest with you. That's all I'm focused on. That's all I'm going to focus on. 
That's all we as a church are going to focus on is to know Jesus and to make him known. Let your light shine. And if the success comes, and if it doesn't, if the crowds come, and hear me, if the crowds go, I'm going to keep shining my light. I'm going to remain faithful because I know God is calling us in this. Like, don't despise this small beginning. Don't despise and hate on this small little tiny mustard seed because this mustard seed would take effect and its roots would grow deep and, it's, and it would become this tree of life for all to see. Like Jesus here is presenting himself. Like, listen, like, this is crazy. Jesus is the lamp. Jesus is the seed. Jesus is the tree of life in this. And it's just me just to point people to him. And that's what we've been called to do.